Hi, and welcome back to the Multifaceted Athlete with Coaching Lutz. I'm your host, Kelly Lutz. I am a USGA certified running and ultra running coach and certified strength and conditioning specialist. I am so excited to have you here today. We'll be talking all about running, aspects of running, strength training, and anything else that makes us humans who do sports. So let's dive right into this episode. I hope you love it. Hello, welcome back to another week of the Multifaceted Athlete. As promised, this week we have a guest episode, and I'm excited for you to listen to this one. So this week on the podcast, I welcome Drew Mulvey to the podcast, and we talked about fueling and Red S, which for those who are unfamiliar is relative energy deficiency in sport, and it plagues a lot of female athletes, but not only female athletes, it plagues everyone. And Drew is a board-certified nutrition specialist and certified integrative sports nutritionist, and she has been through bouts of Red S herself. So I was really excited to have her on to chat about her experience, what she sees in the athletes that she works with, and just to answer some questions that I've gotten in the past. She's extremely passionate about helping female athletes transform their performance through individualized testing and whole foods. Some of the topics we cover are Indicators of red S, getting diagnosed for red S, fueling around workouts, fueling on your rest days and through injuries, and the biggest struggle she sees with endurance athletes. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Drew. Drew, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today because I've wanted to have someone to talk specifically about Red S for a while. But before we dive into Red S, what it is, and all of that, tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into what you're doing today. Oh, yeah, of course. So um, I'm Drew Malvey. I'm a board-certified nutrition specialist, and I just became certified as an integrative sports nutritionist, which is really really awesome. Congrats. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So my specialties are disordered eating and sports nutrition. And I work with female athletes, young female athletes to really transform their mindsets around food and break the chains of disordered eating. I help them define their true identity too, because everything else is going to stem from that to build a firm foundation with food and with relationships and also with their sport and recovery. It's good to know who they are as well so that everything blossoms from that. And I really help them to ignite their true athletic potential. Um, So about me, I was an athlete my whole entire life. Actually, for 13 years of my life, I was a very serious diver. Uh, I was an All-American in high school. And then I dove at a couple places in college. Um, I haven't been diving since 2010. Um, But through that time, I had so many health issues and I had disordered eating. Uh, 19 was when I developed bulimia. I had that for at least a good five months. Um, From all my 20s, there was just several disordered eating patterns, um, following fad diet after fad diet, trying to be the healthiest, orthorexia. And then eventually that led to me getting hypothalamic amenorrhea and I had the female athlete triad. So mm-hmm. I had decreased energy intake. I had um, irregular menses. I actually lost my period for about five years. 
and I had borderline osteopenia at 27 years old. So I was the typical over-exerciser, under-eater, but I didn't realize I was doing that to my body because in the fitness world, it's all about caloric deficit and you don't really establish a good foundation or like a good relationship on that. And then you turn to endurance sports. So all of a sudden I went and got, got my master's and I realized I needed to change after I was diagnosed with that. So unfortunately, one extreme to the next, I came to binge eating disorder. Mm-hmm. But then finally in my 30s, I started getting it down. And I started seeing the power of whole food nutrition in your sport. And I was running longer. I was cycling longer. I was recovering better. I just felt so much better. And then all of a sudden I was going longer and longer and longer. I'm like, oh, well, maybe it's beneficial if I eat something while I'm on the bike or while I'm running. That was a game changer for me. So having something before, during, and after, and then really utilizing food as fuel for my performance, I was able to train for an Ironman 70.3 this year without coming to all these crazy health conditions. I mean, back in January, yes, I did have a mini relapse, but then I got, I really honed in on the power of whole food. Man, I had to be eating a lot training for that thing, but I felt great. And finally just broke that mindset in me like oh my gosh food is our enemy food is actually our friends and can make us do impossible things so granted I'm injured right now and I can't wait to get back (laughs) but I am setting my eyes forward on an Ironman 70.3 next year and some other endurance events and I just I always wanted to be an endurance athlete and through these um, through nutrition and through the other modalities that I've integrated, I was able to do it. So I have such a passion for it. And I know that it can really help a lot of those endurance athletes that might not be getting to their athletic potential. Yeah, I can tell you have a lot of passion. And I feel like, so I ran in college and there was, at least not from what I recall, there was never any discussion around how much we should be eating and fueling our activities. Mm-hmm. And Similarly, this year I've made a commitment to like really hone in my long run fueling and it's just like night and day how much better you feel. Um, But I think one thing that can be challenging, especially for those who are like us that have a history of disordered eating is like, how did you kind of deal with first increasing your food intake, like taking that leap to believe it would happen? Because I feel like that's the hardest first step because, you know, a lot of the messaging around our society for women is like, got to be smaller, got to be thin, eat 1200 calories a day, that kind of thing. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. (laughs) There's the 1200 (laughs) calorie thing again. Yeah. No, I mean, so yeah, I was kind of plagued with like, you know, the caloric intake thing. And for me personally, when I was diagnosed with like functional hypothalamic amenorrhea and I saw that I had osteopenia, And the reproductive specialist said to me, you can't have kids naturally. That's when something went off in my brain. I'm I'm like, I had no idea what I was doing to my body. Before then, I was basically trying to exercise a lot and then see how many calories I can actually fuel myself on. So I was trying to get the least amount of calories and the most amount of punch. And Mm -hmm. that's actually, that's exercise anorexia pretty much. 
Yeah. And I was, I was bordering that. So it was that mindset shift. And then I started eating more. I started eating more carbs and then I was able to lift more. I felt better. I was training better and I was feeling better. I wasn't so unhealthy all the time. And I switched some things up in my diet and Um, I had started running and cycling back in 2007, but I hadn't really done like anything serious or long. Like, you know what? I'm going to try this again. I'm going to get back into this because I was so fearful of like doing too much. Mm -hmm. And when I found out if you fuel your body effectively during those training sessions, you're, I'm not, well, I didn't go backwards and you can actually prevent that from happening. And it was like, oh my gosh, I got my athletic ability back. So I kept progressing and progressing. And then 2018 is when I did my first sprint triathlon. And that was that. (laughs) So, I mean, in my case, it was kind of a radical shift. But I think the most important thing is really putting things into perspective. Like, what's your goal? Is it the external? Are you getting so caught up in the external? Do you even know yourself? Like, are you placing so much emphasis and your self-worth on how you're looking or just things that are um, not the heart and you lose who you are? But then there's the confidence portion where it's like, well, you want to perform well too. It's like, okay, well, Mm -hmm. there's this one, there's vanity. And then there's this one performance. And then if you shift that mindset to, I want my body to be the healthiest it can be. I want to go as long as I possibly can on a run. I want to go as long as I possibly can on a bike ride. I want to see what I'm capable of doing. And then by taking those little baby steps and you start seeing the results, I mean, that's where really you start breaking those things off. And, um, I even have to say, I, I had a lot of body image issues, body dysmorphia for a long time. And, you know, my body has changed the past couple of years and that happens. Mm -hmm. And I know I was getting really caught up this year. I'm like, Oh, you have to be a specific racing weight. Like, Oh my gosh, I have to be this percentage of body fat in order to be a good triathlete. And then I realized I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter what Mm -hmm. it matters is if I'm performing well and if I'm carrying a couple extra pounds, but I'm showing up and I have energy and I'm going faster and farther than I ever have, that's what counts. And all of a sudden, it's just like that. The head of the snake just got cut off. So it's that performance, like really, really honing in on that and then building upon that. That's really what helps to, it's, it's basically like a reframing of your mindset. Yeah, I feel like it. it's hard to conceptualize for a lot of people that your lightest self is not your highest performing self until you do start to make the changes and see the shifts and realize like sh- sometimes maybe if you're lighter, you could run faster, for example, but then mm. you know the after effects of that are you can't get off the couch all day because you're just exhausted versus mm-hmm. like once you start feeling better, like – Maybe your times are a little slower. Maybe not. Who's to say? Um, but then like in the rest of your life, you feel so much better, which is a lot more valuable than just for most of us who are not professional athletes. You know, we want to be full humans all the time, not just our runner or triathlete selves. Um, so let's dive into Red S specifically, because I do want to touch on how you got diagnosed. Because one thing I've seen with some athletes is like, 
we maybe think Red S might be coming on, but it can be challenging working with the medical system with doctors who like aren't as knowledgeable about it. So when you got diagnosed, what was that process like? Well, I remember when I was talking to the doctor, he's like, I, I know immediately what you have. Um, and you're going to have to start eating more. But at that time, he said, even if you start eating more, you probably won't even get your period back. But I did. Hmm. Um, so really, the best thing to do. Okay, so with the apps, a lot of those apps are actually underestimating how much our body actually needs. So a lot of them, it's like, okay, it's just your basal metabolic rate. So how many calories your body needs just at rest, just for like metabolic processes, plus your exercise. But there's so many other components that are part of that equation. It's your basal metabolic rate. It's also the non, non-exercise thermic effect as well. So uh, activity quotient. which it could be fidgeting, it could be typing, it could be walking around. Um, Then there's also the thermic effect of food. So that can be between six and 10% of um, your basal metabolic rate. And then you add that on. So if it's more protein, then it's going to be more like 10% because that has the highest thermic effect. So it basically burns the most energy digesting it. And then 6% is more of like those carbohydrates. You have to find the happy medium there. So that's other energy that you need to be able just to digest things. And then you have your activity quotient, which I'm actually trying to combine like your walking as well as your strength training and your running. And once you actually lay that out manually and come up with an average, the amount of calories that somebody actually needs has been a lot more than what those previous calculations have been. And so a lot of the time with Red S, it could be ignorance, but it could also be a huge fear of adding in more food, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to gain weight. Oh my gosh, this, oh my, you know, it's just, it's a huge fear. Mm -hmm. And so it's really beneficial when you lay that out, especially for people that are visual and they can see that. Um, Obviously you have to be careful with a number with people with disordered eating, Yeah, but just to kind of give them a ballpark. And to also to emphasize, it doesn't need to be 100% exact. You don't have to get caught up in the numbers. You know, then you just start focusing on, okay, what do you need for your macronutrients? What do you need for your proteins? That's usually between 1.2 and 2.0 grams of, uh, per kilogram of protein. It depends on the person. Um, I, I'm better at like 1.6, uh, 2.0. That's just me. I do better with proteins. And then carbohydrates, that's going to vary depending on your sport and how long you're actually training for. So if it's under 60 minutes, it's going to be about three to four grams of carbs uh, per kilogram. If it's above 60 minutes, so to that 90 minute mark, then it's going to go up to like between four and six. And then it's going to continue to go up from there, depending on how many hours you're training per day. So And then you just fill in the fat from there. Plus you want to get your veggies in there and your fruits, like a lot of antioxidant rich foods so that you're laying it out in a way that it's not necessarily a number, but it's like a ballpark. Yeah. And then that can help you with, you know, gaining control. And it can be hard. It was really hard for me to incorporate all those carbohydrates when I was training. I mean, I, I was three weeks short of my Ironman 70.3 before I got hurt, but it was, it was difficult. But then, you know, having that mindset, this is going to really help me to perform better, um, 
And it creates longevity in the sport too. I think we get so caught up in the present that we forget about what we're actually doing to our body in the process. And if we love it, we want to be able to maintain that for several years down the road. So, so yeah, it's, it's really harnessing that relationship with food, having things laid out for you. Um, and then, you know, having a plan based off of that. Yeah. And I do want to mention the basal metabolic rate. Uh, like you mentioned, that's like what your body needs just to like exist. But a lot of people, I feel like think that's what you need on a day where like you don't do any activity versus like, that's what you need if you literally just like laid in bed all day. So Mm. I think it's important to make that distinction because then obviously once you're like, even if you're not running today, you're still moving around, you're eating food, you're, you know, maybe you're going for some walks or seeing friends or working, you're still doing things. So the BMR is not the minimum. Oh, no, not at all. And especially when you're on your recovery days, like you need to be feeding your body and you really shouldn't be dropping the calories like a significant amount or dropping the food a significant amount because you're actually, you're kind I don't want to say store, well, you are, you're storing up energy for the next day. So A, you're recovering properly. B, you're going to be sleeping better too. And then C, you're going to show up for your session the next day. Yeah. Yeah. And like you were mentioning that you're injured, when you're injured, it's also super important to make sure you're not dropping your calories so that your body can repair itself and come back, uh, which I think is another misconception. Like, I think a lot of it revolves around if I'm not doing my activity, whether it's on that day or like in an injury cycle, then I don't need to eat as much. And that's just not true. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, even with my injury right now, um, Again, it's ballpark for me, but I'm trying to get between 1,800 and like 2,000 calories at minimum because I I can't really walk. I can't really do too many activities at the moment, Um, but that's, you know, I'm trying to be at least maintenance or in a little bit of a caloric surplus because that's going to promote anabolism and that's going to promote that new bone growth. That's going to promote... also maintaining my muscle mass too, because once you start going into caloric deficit, your body needs your proteins from somewhere. So it's going to start pulling it from your muscles. So very important. Yeah. No, that it's so funny that, you know, I've had clients in the past like, oh, well, I got hurt. So I guess we don't really need to meet. I'm like, actually, this is a crucial time to meet because that people think, oh gosh, I have to go on a diet. I have to, I have to do keto or you know things <laughs> like that. Oh gosh, don't even get me started with keto, please. <laughs> um, but the problem is, if you start doing that, or you know, you go way off in left field and you just start feeding your body all these things that are so pro-inflammatory, you're just going to prolong your injury recovery time. So. I guess that's where also the mindset is with me. I want to get back as soon as I possibly can in the smartest way that I possibly can. Um, I, I went back a little bit too soon and that's why it, it acted up again. <laughs> but but yeah, to be able to feed your body right now, it's okay if I gain a couple of pounds, you know, mm-hmm. because then once I get back to it, then that's probably going to be utilized immediately and I'll have a healthier bone too. So yeah, definitely injury recovery, very important that you're not dropping your calories to an insane amount. Yeah, definitely. 
So let's talk about some of the signs that Red S might be coming on. I know you mentioned that you lost your period, which I feel mm-hmm. like is uh, one that is like the one that people think about when they think about Red S. And mm-hmm. if that's not present, I feel like people don't think it's Red S as often, um, which I find interesting. I have an IUD, so I don't have a normal period. So like... Mm-hmm. If I did have red S, loss of period wouldn't be one of my, the things I noticed because it's not right. present in my current um, cycle. I don't have a – yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, right. What are some other things that might be indicators that would point towards we're getting towards red S territory? So you're fatiguing earlier. You can't really take high-intensity workouts. Um, you're – not recovering from your workout. So you're really lethargic. You're really sore. You're just grinding through your workouts. You're not thinking properly. And a big one is you're not sleeping properly because your body is just so overworked that it can be really hard to get to sleep. And that's really important because that's your repair time. You know, the melatonin that's in your brain when you're sleeping, that's not only just for you to fall asleep, but that's also a really potent antioxidant that helps your body to recover from all the micro damage that you did to it when you were working out. So um, what other signs are there? Well, frequent illness and frequent injuries too. So even like joint pain, or for me, it was my tibia. Um, little things like that, you start feeling them like creeping in and yeah, you can't, you just can't do normal activities. You're just kind of dazed. Hmm. Yeah. So I think one of the hard things about pointing to red S is a lot of those symptoms could be attributed to something else. Um, so like, you know, life stress, affects a lot, um, can affect how you're performing in training, how you feel outside of training. Um, the sleep one, that one, I feel like people don't think about as much. And actually I'm doing a sleep challenge right now with some of my athletes to like bring awareness to what their habits are around sleep and try to make some tiny changes. But I think that's a really good call out. Um, so, but I think what's one thing I want to point out, um, that I, think you'll co-sign on is a lot of this is noticing that a change in your how you're feeling how you're performing um and all of that so like having the knowledge of what your baseline is before and then noticing something has shifted and would you say that's the point when you would recommend reaching out to get some help definitely yeah if you're experiencing any of these symptoms and even your mood too Uh, your mood drastically changes because your body is just in hyperdrive at that point. Yeah. The mood is the big one. Kind of like hanger. Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like all of a sudden you can feel, you can feel really down and out and you don't even know why, or you have a little bit of anxiety or you could be just completely unmotivated. It's like, oh my gosh, I just, I don't even want to do this. Like you're just kind of disconnected. Like, that's a really big sign. That's good to know. Um, So if someone notices these signs within themselves, who would you recommend they go to first? Well, with the sleep and with the joint issues, um, it could be that they need some strength training. 
uh, they need proper strength training. So it could be like going to like a personal trainer or something like that. If it's something with mood and there's other things that are going on with their life, then obviously like a, a counselor would be really important. Actually, I recommend that for everybody, especially anybody who does have disordered eating that are my clients. I do, um, they have to have a therapist or a counselor working with them alongside. But I mean, if they're really serious about their sport and they're wondering if maybe they need to be changing things up in their diet, you know, coming to see a nutritionist and seeing if they're doing something wrong or also, you know, on the exercise component, coming to see a running coach to (laughs) see if, you know, and that's one of the things actually last year that I was doing. So when I was training for the sprint triathlons and Olympic triathlons, I had no idea about heart rate training. Mm. And I was going at race pace with everything and twice a day. And it's no wonder I got hurt the first time. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea. I was like, okay, I'm in really good shape. And, you know, training for the Ironman 70.3, I was really utilizing that 80-20 rule and doing a lot of slower uh, paced miles. Like I was doing 13, 14 minute miles, really keeping in zone two, and then moving up into like the different zones from there. You're not pushing yourself all the time. So if you're not improving in your sport and you're just fatiguing way earlier than you should be, your times are getting slower when you're trying to train more. That's where a coach is really going to come in and help you. And then that's where the nutritionist will help too to see, are you hydrating properly? Are you sleeping properly? Are you eating properly? Um, Are you doing all these things also with the life stressors that you have? Is it beneficial for you? Are you training too many days and then not recovering because those life stressors are also stressors on the body too. So you have to kind of work with that particular athlete. And I know for me being a really serious athlete before you think I have to go 200% every single day, I can't miss this. I can't miss that. And actually taking sometimes a couple days off, can be incredibly beneficial for your body. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Taking the time off when you need it is so important. And this actually brings up um, – there's a post I've seen on Instagram that is like what people think consistency is and it's like five circles. They're all filled in all the way, kind of like you're saying, like going 100% every single day. And then the next slide is like what consistency actually is. It's like the first one, maybe it's half full. Then the next day, maybe it's fully full. And then the next day, maybe it's like barely full, but you still show it up. And it's just like you you don't have to go 100 all the time. And I mean, like just like you're saying, that leads to some bad things that we're talking about today, digging yourself a hole that you can't get out of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's, it's not fun. And I, you know, I don't wish these injuries upon anybody. And if you can use nutrition to prevent that and nutrition actually to accelerate the healing, I mean, that's where it's going to help you in the long run, because then you don't have to spend as many days away from something that you love. And it's everybody, it's horrible. (laughs) It's, it's not a fun experience. But I mean, there's ways to cope. Definitely. You know, I'm, I'm actually finding some interesting hobbies that I used. I used to crochet. Oh. (laughs) So I've been crocheting. But yeah, I mean, um, getting you back to your sport as quick as possible and even preventing this, that's going to be, nutrition is going to be key. And also making sure you have the right form and that you have a proper strength training program as well. 
Yeah, yeah, I would say prevention is hopefully what we can all do. Um, And it seems like in the sport world, it is changing like at the high school collegiate level Mm. towards more awareness about this so that, you know, athletes aren't set up for failure that young. Um, Are there any, do you recommend blood tests for your clients to see if anything is out of whack before starting a nutrition protocol? I actually do really like to see that. Um, so what I try to do is I try to work with their nutrition first. And then if something's not working, then I, I have them see their doctor. So I have them get like a complete metabolic panel, checking vitamin D and electrolytes as well, because if your electrolytes are off, that could definitely fatigue you and just throw you off. If there's, um, so there's a, a marker called alkaline phosphatase. And if that's low, that's an indicator of low zinc. And usually zinc is zapped when you're overstressed. That can cause mm-hmm. protein maldigestion and a low stomach acid, which can impair your digestion and assimilation of nutrients, which you need those very much. And it can impair your immunity too. So it's very important that making sure that they're on board with that. But I also have other tests, like I have alternative care, I guess, alternative testing, um, where I get to see like what is going on in your body. How is your liver clearing out things? How's your gut functioning? Is there any sort of fungal growth? Um, how is your mitochondria? So your energy powerhouses able to put out those compounds so that you're able to recover and have energy, um, neurotransmitters. So that's going to be, that's actually a big part of that test that I look at because that's going to be most affected by how stressed out that person really is. Hmm. Um, and protein digestion and fat digestion and some other markers too, to see if there's any vitamin, depletions before they become a deficiency. So I actually use that test a lot on my athletes and a lot on the people that come in because it basically gives you a baseline. Unless unless there's a lot of disordered eating, I really try to get them up to par first because then it's not going to give you the right results necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, okay, yeah, you're, you definitely have nutrient deficiencies because you're not eating. So let's eat first. If you're still experiencing these things, let's see what's going on at a deeper level. That makes sense. So for those who either have disordered eating currently or have a history of it, how do you recommend they go about knowing if they're eating enough without like tracking specific numbers, if that's triggering? Right. Yeah. So I mean – as I said before, getting a baseline and seeing, well, having that visual, but then knowing like what their proteins are, what their carbohydrates are, but also listening to your body. You know, sometimes I have needed more and I was really hungry at night before I went to bed and your body's going to tell you what you need for sure. So, um, when you lay it out like that, like how much protein you need, how many carbohydrates you need, even the fat that you need, but you kind of, I don't want to say you, yeah, you are, you're a little more lenient on it because you're not Mm -hmm. trying to be a perfectionist. Like that would probably be the most important approach to it. That makes sense. Kind of breaking it down, not in terms of calories, just in terms of macros and making sure you're hitting the big ones and getting enough of them. And you don't even have to be perfect with those either. Yeah. You know, just making sure that whatever's working for your body and making sure that you're just getting enough food altogether is going to be really important. Yeah. So 
actually, this brings up a question. Something I've seen with some of my athletes is that they're really busy. As you know, a lot of us adults are. How do you have any tips for increasing the amount of food you're eating when like, you know, for me, it's easier to eat more because I work from home. I have a lot of I can take a lot of breaks. I'm, you know, my kitchen's right there. But for someone who's like a teacher, for example, who they're teaching all day, they don't have a lot of breaks. How do you recommend someone like that increases their food intake without, you know, having to have like 10 snacks a day or something like that? Liquid nutrition. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. So I used to be a therapeutic recreation aid and I was on my feet like most of the time. And then I had my lunch break and the ladies would always joke with me about my protein shake that I'd carry around with me. So there's that, there's smoothies. There's actually little squeezy packs now too, where you can get um, vegan protein and then there's carbs, fats in there. Oh my gosh, I forget what the name of um, the company is, but it's a little squeezy pack that has all of those things in there. Um, And easy things like trail mixes that you can kind of just throw in. Um, And what's another one? There are some, there are some bars that you can incorporate in. I mean, if you're a runner, you're going to want protein or excuse me. Well, yeah, a little bit of protein, but like carbs and fats. So I really like those cliff nut butter bars. Mm. Those are, those are pretty simple. Those are pretty easy. And then, you know, making sure that you're properly fueling around your workouts. So some carbs beforehand and then depends on how long you're going to be training for it's over if it's over 60 minutes definitely incorporating some intra-workout carbs because your your body's basically burning 60 grams of carbohydrates an hour so Mm -hmm. it's nice that that's it falls like 60 minutes and 60 grams of carbohydrate so it's just one gram of carbohydrate per minute pretty much so if you're working out over an hour, it would be important to start adding a little bit of that carbohydrate in there and then replenishing with either like a really good breakfast with proteins and fats and those carbohydrates, more of the carbohydrate heavy, like some of the fats in there. Mm-hmm. Um, then dep- let's see. So as teachers, depending, then maybe like two or three hours later, you have like some of those liquid nutrition, you have some of that trail mix that, you know, you're just throwing in your mouth. Um, oh, yeah, I know there's some schools that have nut issues, but you can make your own. I usually yeah. do like a, a dried fruit and seed Ooh. mix. Yeah. So having like easy things like that, having like a cliff nut butter bar, making um, making smoothies. So you put it in your little coffee mug and you're sipping that. And hydration is going to be important too. So teachers, yes, you need to hydrate and your kids are not going to be telling the principal on you if you're hydrating. (laughs) (laughs) So very important that you are drinking water throughout the day as well. So that, that's how I really felt like I got around that really well. And then even if there's like little breaks here and there that you're getting things in. But um, if you work out at night, making sure at least like a half an hour beforehand, you can get in like a couple applesauce packets, or if it's like an hour and a half, at least getting a couple carbs and a pro or a couple carbs and a fat in there so that it's, you're waiting a little while and then you go into your workout. Yeah, those are some great tips. I've recently rediscovered smoothies and can confirm they are amazing, super convenient, super delicious. (laughs) Um, in your work with endurance athletes specifically, what have you seen is the 
most common struggle with fueling for our sport? Oh, um, probably knowing when to actually start having the carbohydrates during their workouts. Mm. Um, and honestly, hydration. I could see that. Hydration has been a big one. So we think that we just need to drink water. And if you're doing that, you're just going to flush out the sodium. And that's going to fatigue you even sooner because your muscles have um, sodium and potassium pumps on them that help to contract and relax. And if those aren't functioning properly, then you're just going to fatigue a lot sooner. So kind of figuring out like what your sweat rate is, I always recommend that they put a little bit of electrolyte in their water anyway. So they're sipping on some water, they're sipping on some electrolytes. And um, I mean, I like noon tablets. Noon tablets are pretty good. That's about yeah. 320 milligrams. I've also been using LMNT. So for those that are like really going longer distances and sweating a lot, you can be losing up to a thousand milligrams of sodium per hour if you're losing a liter of water an hour in your sweat. So a liter of water is equivalent to 2.2 pounds that you go down. So it's one, it's one kilogram. So 2.2 pounds. So if you were to figure out your sweat rate, I mean, there are, um, there are devices that can do that for you, but basically you weigh yourself beforehand without anything on, then you do a really hard session for an hour sweating a lot, and then you weigh yourself after, and then you can kind of figure out your sweat rate from there. So, um, I did that and I figured out I was down a pound. So that would be about like 500 milligrams for me. And I, I'm a salty sweater as well. So that's yeah. one of the big things too. Um, making sure pre like the pre-workout carbohydrates to make sure that you're fueling effectively, making sure that you have something in your system at least an hour and a half, two hours beforehand. And if you're waiting the carbohydrate and the fat. Um, and then if you're bouncing from event to event, or uh, training to training, making sure that in between that time that you're getting a source of protein, fat, and carbohydrate to help to fuel the next event or next training. So yeah. that's a big one as well. And then post-workout nutrition, it's really important that they get the carbohydrates in. Like the proteins, definitely, that's a big one, but the carbohydrates with the proteins and then those nice complex meals. So you're really repairing your body and then you're also helping it to um, store that glycogen as well. So I think that's like the biggest factor. And sometimes it is. Um, I know I'm working with a swimmer right now and they have to be up to like a, a lot. <laughs> of calories like it's so hard um so some of the things that you can incorporate especially like for your runners or ultra runners um incorporating i don't even want to say simple sugars but simpler things like juices or maple syrup or honey because mm -hmm. eventually you're going to get to a point and you can't have a million complex carbs it's just not going to work you're going to yeah. get way too full so uh, it's okay as an endurance athlete to have some simpler carbohydrates. That's a big one. You, you're going to get too full if you have a massive amount of complex carbohydrates. You still need them, but um, it doesn't have to be every single thing that you have. Yeah, I think that is a big misconception, especially like fueling on the run where people – I feel like it was a big push mm, pre-pandemic – 
must have been like, I think it was around the time I trained for my first 50K. Paleo mm-hmm. was really in. Um, oh, yeah. And you're and from so- Colorado. That's where it started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so like, everyone was talking about not fueling with the sports nutrition gels, fueling with real food. And I remember I tried that with my 50K. I mostly ate bars, um, but it was just like so much harder than just the simple little gels that are, you know, they've got all the carbs in there that you need and they're easily digestible. So. Yeah. And there's a lot of whole food ones that they're making now, like Huma. Um, Mm -hmm. So I got in Huma and I got in Morton Packs for when I was going to be doing the Ironman 70.3. And then there's like, um, there's something, I think it's just called maple and it's maple water or maple syrup. Um, There's a couple other ones too. So, and I made my own, which was a banana and raisin puree. And I put them into like those little squeezy packs, but unfortunately those are a bit big. So you can only maybe carry a couple of them in your like fanny pack but it depends on like the ratio of those two um i just like things that you can squeeze into your mouth because i don't like having to chew on something when i'm running because i need to use my mouth and my my nose (laughs) (laughs) not just my my nose you're just like huffing and puffing through your nose when you're trying to get these things down Um, But yeah, the simpler carbohydrates are going to be important than even on the longer runs at the beginning, what you want to do is have like a little bit of protein, a little bit of fat in there with the carbohydrate, because then that's, that's helping you over the long period. And then once you start getting closer towards the end, your body's just going to need those simple sugars and simple stuff, because it's, it's really not digesting things properly at this point. So incorporating some of like those whole food gels, bananas are really easy even making like that banana raisin puree um yeah that's a that's a go-to and then making sure that you're replenishing afterwards with like a good meal or a protein shake my go-to i um i had pomegranate juice with uh like my protein powder oh just to refuel afterwards to make sure that i was getting enough of those simple sugars as well as the protein to really help me to replenish like right afterwards. And then I'd eat a little bit after, but I felt the difference when I didn't do that in my Olympic triathlon. <laughs> I just went straight for the food afterwards. I'm like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah, super, super important. I mean, those simpler carbohydrates are going to be completely fine after your workout, um, during your runs. And also you can have that in your your normal nutrition routine too. You know, you have to have a balanced way of eating where you're able to enjoy yourself and you don't have to be like 100% spot on. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, those are very delicious, the simple carbs. So (laughs) we love them. (laughs) (laughs) How do you, so another question I get a lot is runners who run early in the morning. Uh-huh. And a lot of them are like, I can't eat anything before it upsets my stomach. And then, you know, I don't want to go running. How do you recommend they get some calories in? Because you, we don't want to run fasted for everyone out there. Yeah, no, um, I really don't recommend that. It can mm-hmm. it can be beneficial at some times, but you have to do it right. And it's carb fasted. It's not necessarily like fasted fasted. 
I used to be the same way. Um, I couldn't eat anything in the morning. So what I've been doing, I just have applesauce packets. Oh. Yep. So some applesauce packets or something that's very easy to digest. So depending on how much I'm working out. So sometimes I just did 30 grams of carbohydrates beforehand with like the applesauce packets or a banana or a toast with jam. Um, if I was going longer, I would actually try to get the 60 grams of carbohydrates so that it would fuel me for that hour. And then I would get my carbohydrate drink or I get one of those gels to fuel me for the next, you know, half an hour, hour and a half or hour that I was working out. So that's probably one of your best bets is if you can't really have anything like that in the morning, then the purees are going to be one of your best friends. Yeah, the purees are game changers. They're just so easy. I think especially if you're traveling to an event or like oh, yeah. traveling to a long run. Yeah. Because, you know, we all know it can be a, a pain <laughs> to travel with a lot of food or like plan out your food and figure that out in advance. So the travel packs are super easy. Um, do you like the, what brand is it? I want to say it's like Fuel the Fire, those pouches. <gasps> That's that's what I. Is yes. that the one? Yes, that was the one. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh my gosh, what's the name of that?" Yes, fuel the fire. That one's really good. They're so good. That would be great, like um, if you're doing like an ultra run, so if a 50k or above or something like that, that's a good source of like the protein, a little bit of fat, and a little bit of carbohydrate. I think some of them have chia seeds in them too. So, you know, having that at the beginning and then, you know, transitioning to your simpler carbohydrates, that's even like great afterwards too. And then just, you know, maybe coupling that with some juice because you've got the protein, you've got some carbohydrate in there, but you probably, you need a little bit more after you've been running for that long amount of time. Yeah, yeah definitely. After ultras, I, I always find after long runs is the hardest time to refuel. So one of my go-tos is like a little bar and then a core power so that I'm getting carbs and protein to hold me over until I'm like actually more hungry and then trying to prioritize a meal. But yeah, that post-long effort, loss of appetite is rough. Oh, yeah. No, that's why I just incorporated that liquid nutrition. Those pro uh, The protein smoothies like really, really helped me afterwards. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there's ice and cream too. Oh my gosh. So my last <laughs> day um, in 2021, one of my friends came um, and she and my husband were supporting me throughout. And she was like, what do you want when you finish? And I was like, ice cream. So she got like a thermos that would keep things cold and she brought me ice cream <laughs> from her oh home. My gosh, I was like, this I is it. the best thing ever. Yeah. It was the only thing I wanted after finishing the 50K. Oh perfect. yeah. Honestly, ice cream when I, I have like a little bit of a protein shake and then ice cream afterwards, that has been the best recovery food for me. And I actually wrote a blog post for it, best foods for athletic performance, ice cream, because <gasps> uh, it repairs the glycogen. It's just, it's so simple. Plus it's got the milk proteins, the whey and the casein, even though it's not high in protein, it does mm -hmm. still have those proteins. So it really helps with that muscle repair afterwards. Yeah, and we're in summer right now, so it's perfect for cooling off after oh being gosh. out in the heat. Yes, <laughs> yes, agreed, 100%. Yeah, it's brutal training right now. Um, we'll have to link 
that blog post so people can read it. Is there anything about Red S that we haven't covered that you want to make sure we cover? I think that we've covered everything, you know, and I just want to say to everybody, I know it can be a scary thing to increase any sort of calories. And especially because mainstream, it's saying like, you need to have 1600 calories, you need to have 1200 calories. And from that, you're significantly impacting your athletic performance. And when your body needs a certain amount, there's a reason why it needs a certain amount. So I think just changing that mindset and looking more towards like longevity and health, and this is what's going to get you there is really super important. And that's where like the nutritionist comes in. That's where a counselor comes in. If there's any sort of other personality traits that are contributing to that, where there's just that stubbornness because there is, you know, I mean, when you're an athlete, especially you, you were a D1 athlete. If you've been a D1 athlete, you are hyper disciplined and you're like, Nope, this is the way that it is. Um, So having more of an open mind, that's another piece of advice too. having more of an open mind. You don't have to be 100% perfect and find your own balance. That's going to get you to the healthiest and you're uh, really reaching your athletic potential. Yeah. Yeah. And just to add on to that, along with like a nutritionist, a counselor, if you feel comfortable, definitely bring it up with your coach if you're working with one, because a lot of times the coach is one of the people that you're closest with, especially like they know all your training and everything. Um, and they can help direct you to whoever might be able to help more than them because our scope of practice is not in this area. So, but we are a good first step, um, as long as you feel comfortable. Um, but yeah, if people want to follow with you or work with you, where can they find you? So I have a website, it's redeeminglifenutrition.com. I also have an Instagram, which is whole.fit.athletenutritionist. On the website, you can actually sign up for a free icebreaker call. So we just spend 15 to 20 minutes together. Um, uh, I can be reached at email. It's drew.mulvey at redeeminglifenutrition.com as well. Perfect. Oh, and I have a YouTube. I do have a YouTube channel. It's Redeeming Life Nutrition. So I've got all my goodies on there. So if you want to kind of know what I'm all about, uh, I do have that YouTube channel talking about a bunch of different things regarding athletic performance. Awesome. Well, I will link all of those. Um, But Drew, thank you so much for this. I think this will be a really helpful episode for everyone. And it was great talking with you. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to this. If you like this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review everything you do for podcasts wherever you listen to them. It helps me out immensely and helps other people find the show and just spread my message. And if you haven't already, connect with me on Instagram or TikTok at Coaching Klutz. You can also find me at my website, coachingklutz.com, if you're looking for my coaching services or any of my running programs. And I will talk to you all next time.